God of life, we give you thanks for Jesus, who today we remember as the risen one. He greets us with words of peace. Jesus, come to us today in government rooms where politicians meet to make decisions for our collective good. In hospital rooms where people are waiting, unsure of their health. In hospital hallways where medical personnel run about overwhelmed with the needs of others and tired from their effort. In homes where people struggle to make ends meet, who are overcome with uncertainty or who find themselves lonely. Come to us wherever we are afraid, despite our strong desire to protect ourselves by shutting out the world. Come to us with words of peace. This Easter, breathe on us again with your spirit. Renew us in the power of your spirit that we may speak words of peace. Renew us in the power of your spirit that we may have life in your name and rest in you. We pray in the name of the Father, of the resurrected Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In prayer, let us confess to God as a community. Father, we gather, though distant today, to remember that you have made this day. God of empty tombs, when we hesitate to speak of your hope, forgive us and give us voice. When we find it difficult to love one another, forgive us and give us new compassion. When we stay locked behind our doubts and sense of safety, forgive us and allow us to share your grace. Let us focus on you this week and guide our attention to the cross. Remind us again of the tomb, filled and now empty. Remind us again of the disciples' tears, of sorrow and now joy. Remind us again of Peter's words, denial and now telling. God of the empty tomb, grant us the grace to accept both the cost and the joy of following you. We bless you, O God, and thank you for the gift of your Son. We pray in the name of the loving Father, of the risen Son, and with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Easter Sunday, authorized for risk. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. John twenty nineteen. While his followers met where the doors were locked for fear, he came. He stood there in the midst of the violent, restless empire, and he said, Peace be with you. They recognized him when they saw the scars on his body as he had been executed by the empire. This was the same Jesus of whom they despaired. And when they recognized him, he said a second time, Peace be with you. The story exhibits the contradiction between the empire of death and the living one whom the empire could not keep dead. This Easter Sunday, we ponder that contradiction between empire death and Easter life to consider our own faith amid the empire and to be dazzled by the one who said then and who says now, peace. And then he breathed on them. In the Bible, the notion of breath is the same word as spirit. He gave them spirit. He performed artificial respiration on his bedraggled followers. He said, receive the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus. He gave them the surging gift of surprising life, so unlike the lifeless charade of the empire that only knows about violence and control, but knows nothing about giving life. Imagine a world of life come amid the destructiveness of empire. It is this life giver who said to his followers, I give you the power to forgive sin. I recruit you for the forgiveness business. I charge you with healing, 
transformative reconciliation. It was then, and always is, a hard work for the church. Because in the empire there is no free lunch, no open hand, no breaking of the vicious cycles of fear and violence and failure. So here's my pitch. Imagine that you and I today are a part of the Easter movement of civil disobedience that contradicts the empire. Let's see what happens. Let's see if life is longer than death. Some will never move and will keep trusting in the empire. But we know this much. We have been breathed on. We've been addressed. To us, he said, peace be with you. He said it three times, and then he charged us with forgiveness. We are on the receiving end of his offer of life. Praise God. Uh, good morning, new community. Welcome to our Easter discussion. We're so glad that you could join us. Uh, looking forward to a conversation around uh, the most sacred of days, Easter, really looking at uh, the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the peace that that resurrection brings. Um, we're going to, we diverged a little bit last week from the Lenten schedule that we were on. Uh, we talked last week a little bit about uh, philosophy behind why we're doing what we're doing uh, during this season and time. And um, also had a liturgy uh, for Palm Sunday. But this particular week, we're going to kind of circle back to the devotional that we've been on for the season of Lent. Um, this is a devotional by Walter Brueggemann. Uh, the title of it is A Way Other Than Our Own. And it has been, for me personally, and I know in speaking with Julie and Kevin, others on staff, um, my wife, etc., that um, this has been an encouraging and thoughtful resource. It has been um, not only challenging uh, to me personally, but I have found great uh, comfort really in the idea that people throughout the city um, are reading the same text every morning and thinking on the same passages. And there's something about even being in this season of separation uh, where doing something in common together uh, actually can be a unifying thing. And so we're circling back again uh, to this. <clears throat> we're doing the reading for today, for Easter Sunday. If you're following along in the book, it's on page 94 and 95. And this morning, one of the th other things that we're going to do as we interact with this um, passage and as we interact with this chapter is uh, to reflect back on the peace of God, but to do that by looking at God's faithfulness to new community in the past. One of the things that I have been astounded by is God's incredible faithfulness in the midst of uncertain times in new community. And so what we're going to do is <clears throat> recall some of the stories uh, of the history of new community and discuss how those ideas, those stories, perhaps intersect with this idea of Easter peace. I want to read the passage out of John chapter 20, uh, verses 19 through 23. And uh, this will be the springboard for our conversation, as well as uh, the section from Brueggemann's reading. John 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. So to begin our discussion on this passage in the Brueggemann section, uh, I'm going to toss out a question uh, for Kevin, Julie, and I to begin to dialogue on. Uh, At the top of Brueggemann's reading, it says this, While his followers met where the doors were locked for fear, he came. He stood there in the midst of the violent, restless empire, and he said, Peace be with you. Certainly in the season and time that we're in, this is a, um, uh, a really interesting statement from Christ. Uh, he immediately addresses uh, all of their anxieties. He becomes a non-anxious presence in the midst of the disciples. Uh, when you guys were reading this and reflecting on um, Christ coming into a fearful space and having his first words be, peace be with you. How did that strike you? Yeah, I think for me, um, it struck me as it's the exact thing that we need to hear currently. Um, Throughout the reading of this um, devotional, it seemed like these days have lined up in such an appropriate manner. It's it's actually been uh, a little comical to me at at times, but... um, to to be in this space and to um, to try to conduct life in a new normal in this way and with the uh, the fears and the anxiousness that that maybe we're feeling individually or certainly we're sensing around us uh, this seemed like again one of those um, messages that although was spoken uh, many 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 years ago to a very fearful group. Of people, it was uh, a message that I personally, and I think we all need to hear again, currently today, uh, and probably tomorrow again, and probably the next day. Uh, but that idea that um, Jesus steps into the moment and calls the thing out immediately that everybody needs to feel and needs to hear, and so it was that uh, a message that rang really true to me, just where I'm at right now. Yeah, I think I echo that. Um, what is so interesting to me is how he reads the room, right? Like he steps into that space and is aware. I think a lot of times we have this idea of God being so distant uh, that he's out there, he's other, he's different than us. And yet this story reminds us that when he steps into that space, He's instantly aware. He knows exactly how you're feeling, exactly what you're thinking. Um, and into that, he speaks the very words we need to hear. Yeah. It's, it's encouraging. Yeah. Because yeah, there, there could have been any number of things that he, uh, that he first utters when he steps into that room. But uh, I think you're right. That it's that like depth of awareness of what people need in the moment is pretty powerful. I think I would have loved for him to just jump out and be like, I'm back, you know, and that would have been <laughs> Let's hilarious. go, boys! Something crazy like that, yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. But obviously he sensed the room yeah. and uh, said the more appropriate thing. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, you are the best. <laughs> um, Kevin, I echo what you said uh, with him reading the room as well. Uh, but I also I do feel like it's so applicable because as I was reading this, this idea of locked for fear, it feels like we are locked in right now and mm. we are isolated and um, there is a ton of fear. And it reminded me how Jesus over and over and over and over again is bringing peace and calm and confidence and uh, faithfulness throughout his entire ministry. Um, I mean, if you go back through the gospels, it's He's doing this over and over when he calms the storm. He says, peace, be still. Um, and throughout the whole scriptures, it this is one of his main roles in our life is to bring peace. And so it reminds me right now, as those fears and anxieties are arising, um, to hear those words and to know that Jesus is, like you were saying, Russ, he is reading the room and he's meeting me right where I'm at and meeting those around us right where we're at. And it's okay to be where we're at. Um, 
but he is the one who offers the promise of peace and it can't be found anywhere else. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't change the situation, right? I mean, he comes in and he, he, he speaks those words. It doesn't mean that they're, um, that the situation that they're in is different in terms of maybe they still, uh, they are still being tracked down by those who want to kill them. Uh, or in our situations, the, the, um, the situation we're in is not going to be changed by God's peace, but it's our perspective of how do we sit in the midst of it and how do we, uh, conduct our own lives in the midst of something that we are totally out of control of. Um, and yet we can be in control of, uh, how are we interpreting the, the things around us and how are we uh, living a faithful and holy life, uh, an obedient life in the midst of it? It, uh, it reminds me of one of those times in New Communities history, and we've talked about this before. We've brought it up as a sign of God's faithfulness. Um, we even, in fact, I uh, was looking back every year um, at around Easter time, I look back on the Easter um, the messages that we've given over the last, you know, 10, 12 years. And in 2011, we brought up this very story as one of the focal points of Easter, um, because God does miracles in our midst. And one of those miracles is uh, Ella, uh, Ella Dordal. And I remember getting a call the morning that, um, that Krista went in for surgery and it was rushed in and everything was uncertain. And, uh, I remember running to the hospital and meeting Eric there and meeting, uh, KJ and, uh, just being in that space in the situation, just as you were saying, Kev, the situation didn't change in that moment. Uh, everything, all the feelings were still there. All the tension, the uncertainty, uh, all of the complexity of uh, her heart condition and the fear that she may not live uh, was all present and real. Uh, and the peace of God did not change the circumstances, uh, but in, it was so amazing to watch the peace of God change the perspective that in that moment... Um, a renewed thinking and a way of being, uh, a trust and assurance, uh, kind of flooded in, uh, rather than fear. Uh, so Russ, there was a moment in the hospital. I remember when the, I think the majority of the family was called back or maybe they were meeting with doctors in that moment, but it was just you and I left in, um, I don't even think it was a waiting room. I think it was like a, one of the hospital rooms they had been in and now they were moved to a new room or something like that. And you and I were standing by the door and, um, it was this, for me, it was a time where, uh, I sensed you and I were in a space almost, um, not knowing what to do. And, and honestly having a conversation of, we don't do funerals at new community. That's like not a thing we do because we have, uh, 400 college students in a population at this point. Uh, now many of those college students are grown and have their own kids. But, um, I remember you, uh, you and I just, just discussing the idea of we don't even know what to do in this moment. And yet the Dordal family seemed to have that piece that you're discussing there. There just sensed that there certainly was this, uh, this, um, sense of we are out of control. There's nothing we can do, but they seemed to carry such a graceful peace in that moment. Even when you and I, uh, you know, pastors supposedly be the people that, uh, were, were the strong, sure. uh, the strong ones. I think, I mean, we were like, I, I don't know what to do. And I, there was this moment of, um, almost kind of leaning in on their family and saying, if they can be this way, in this moment, then certainly we can be this way in this moment. It was, uh, it was a very surreal experience for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you're letting people in on a little pastoral secret there, right? That, that when we're in the room with you, we look really calm and like, we know exactly what we're doing. And then when we're uh, by ourselves, it's those moments where you go, God, what are, what is happening here? And how are we supposed to respond? And every one of our words seem hollow. It doesn't seem like it rings true in this moment. And yet 
somehow we have to believe that it does. And I, I distinctly remember when one of the uh, hospital personnel, I think it was one of the doctors that was attending to everything, um, pulled me aside. I don't know if you were in the same space at the same time, um, but pulled me aside and said, I don't think she has more than an hour or two to live. You need to be prepared uh, to have the conversation because I'm going to come back out next time and likely say that she's no longer with us. And then I'm going to hand it over to you and walk out. <laughs> you take the <laughs> and, lead after that. Yeah. 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 And I remember just praying like, God, this, we can't have this happen. Yeah. Not only do I not know what to do, um, but just for the sake of our community, for the sake of yeah. this girl, for the sake of this family, uh, would you step in and intervene and do something? Um, and it, and I feel like we're in one of those moments right now too, right? I mean, uh, there are a lot of people feeling incredible loneliness and anxiety uh, and fear and uncertainty. Um, and that may um, carry on for a while. I mean, there might come a point even six months from now where some people are still afraid of even gathering in groups larger than 10 or 15 or 20 for fear of what, what could happen. Um, so it's a very real, uh, real experience. I, I came across a quote that I wanted to, I'm going to send it to both of you, even as we have this discussion. Uh, um, can we give yeah. a little update on Ella instead of ending it? There. Julie, there. why don't you? That would be fantastic. Well, Ella is a thriving. Oh, how old is Ella now? She's she's nine like a ten? month or two. Yeah, uh, younger than Kempton. Okay, so Ella is a thriving nine-year-old who is full of excitement and joy and beauty, and it was a total miracle um, that she made it through that time. And God, I mean, there are stories if you have not heard the whole story. Ask Eric and Krista. I'm sure you guys, Eric and Krista, I'm sure you love that. We are just throwing you out there right now, <laughs> but it is a really beautiful story full of miracles and full of situations, um, that should not have happened that doctors can't explain. And, uh, it was a miracle for her and for their family. And so many people saw the hand of God in that time through the healing of Ella and also through the way that the Dordals uh, entered into that situation and the way the community came around them. And um, it just was a really beautiful time. But I didn't want to just leave the story at ending in the hospital. Like she is, I mean, it was a total yeah. miracle and it was really beautiful. Yeah, it is one of those. Um, there are many of these times at New Community, but it is one of those that I look back on and uh, clearly see as a divine uh, the divine hand of God moving in our community in a profound way. Um, we're not sitting together as we do this recording. Uh, we're in different spaces. I'm going to send a quote over to you that I want to read um, because I think it circles back to this idea that peace absolutely ties into the resurrection and that without the resurrection, you can't find ultimate peace. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, and the resurrection of Jesus issues the surprising command, don't be afraid, because the God who made the world is the God who raised Jesus from the dead and calls you now to follow him. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a matter of believing that certain things are true about the physical body of Jesus that had been crucified. These truths are vital and non-negotiable, but they point beyond themselves to the God who is responsible for them. Believing in this God means believing that it is going to be all right. And this belief is ultimately incompatible with fear. As John says in his letter, perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4, 18. And the resurrection is the revelation of perfect love, God's perfect love for us as human creatures. That's why, though we may at any stage in our lives grasp the truth that God raised Jesus from the dead, it takes us all of our life long to let that belief 
soak through and permeate the rest of our thinking, feeling, and worrying lives. I want to read that last part again. That's why, though we may at any stage in our lives grasp the truth that God raised Jesus from the dead, it takes us all our life long to let that belief soak through and permeate the rest of our thinking, feeling, and worrying lives. What are you guys' thoughts on that quote? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, seems like a classic N.T. Wright quote, right? Uh, in, powerful, incredibly deep. I think that the part that is challenging for me is um, how do we, so if this takes all of our lives uh, or all our life long, as he states, how do we, how do we take those incremental steps and grow in this along the way? And um, do you have to wait for catalyzing moments like we're in right now or like the Ellis situation to uh, to experience these things and then take those steps forward? Or can you actively be pursuing these things and living into these realities when there are maybe not the external pressures or the external fears that we have um, around us right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's a both and, right? That The small incremental steps are the things that prepare you uh, for the moment when you have to do the heavy lifting, so to speak, right? Um, I mean, even if you put it in terms of working out or put it in terms of acquiring a skill, um, it's the small incremental practice lessons that prepare you for the recital, It's the training that happens on an everyday basis when the conditions aren't extreme that prepare you for that last second shot or that game winning goal or uh, whatever it is you're particularly facing in the moment, you know, but it's those small things I think that make a huge difference. Yeah, I I think the other line that is really interesting to me uh, when he says believing And this God means believing that is going to be all right. And um, I think sometimes our idea of what all right is can get a little tangled into other things and and be too connected to feelings of comfort, um, feelings of uh, or experiences um, devoid of fear, experiences devoid of fear. not having all of, yeah, all of the things that we want in that moment. And that idea of um, what is actually all right mean when you distill it down and boil it down. Um, I think that's a, like something that as individuals, as, uh, as Christians, we really need to wrestle with that idea so that we have the right perspective uh, when reading a quote like this and enduring a time like we're in right now. Because if all right means I have um, nobody in my family gets sick, uh, I don't have to uh, stay quarantined for longer than I want to, and there's no difference to my job, and uh, and on May 5th, I'm uh, experiencing Cinco de Mayo with all of my friends uh, in a big uh, celebration party, then I'm probably going to be really disappointed um, in in God's ability to meet me where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what you're bringing up is part of the tension people are feeling right now, which is tethered to the idea that if God is really loving, then why isn't all this stuff in control? And why is there hurt and brokenness and loss of family and loss of jobs and, and the like. Um, I, th- I thought he made my life better in these ways. Um, and so it's really, it is a question of, of, of what does better look like and what does it mean to be all right? And I think going back to that, the end of the first quote that you were sharing, Russ, um, and Kevin, what you were addressing with that it's this lifelong journey I think part of that journey is that it's okay right now to be in that space and to 
if that's the question that you have right now is why is this happening? It's okay. That's okay. And that's part of how you get to that next, um, step or that next space of peace and realizing what all right really is, is by entering into where you're at right now and, uh, engaging in it and moving along and having conversations about it. And, um, the number of conversations that I've had alone this week of, of that question that you just asked Russ of, uh, what do we do when they're suffering and where is God in this? Or I'm not in a great emotional space or I am totally anxious or I'm fearful. And I think, I think as Christians, a lot of times we want to say, no, we've got this. It's no big deal. God's in control and shove those things down versus, uh, this lifelong journey happens by entering into those, engaging in them and moving through them with God and learning where God is making things all right. And then eventually looking back and in the same way that we can look back at Ella, I do fully believe that we will look back at this time and there will be a lot of suffering and there will be a lot of pain. And there will also alongside of that be a lot of miracles and a lot of beauty and a lot of things to celebrate, um, which will not take away from the pain that is happening, but um, I think in these situations, God is here and God is present and he is with us in the pain and in the fear and in the anxiety and the suffering as much as he's in it with the blessings and the miracles and all of those as well. Yeah. And Julie, as you were sharing, uh, the story that came to mind was, um, Jesus with Lazarus. Uh, so you have this moment where he hears the news that his best friend and a friend of people he loved um, has passed away. And what's so staggering to me in that moment is that he doesn't lead with, I am the resurrection and the life, and then, you know, call forth Lazarus from the tomb. Instead, what he leads with is lament. He cries. He says that he weeps. It was one of the first Bible verses I memorized because it was the shortest, right? Um, Jesus wept. But what he did, he read the room again. He experienced the grief. He put himself in the place of hurt and uh, a longing for things to be different. And I think that's the same thing he feels now, that I long for it to be different and I hurt and I weep with those who weep. And then I am the resurrection and the life. And I think those two can coexist rather than being uh, an either or. I think they're both in. Yeah, so as you mentioned the idea of reading the room again, uh, maybe the the powerful idea in the midst of this is um, Jesus reads the room, but he doesn't stay in the room, right? So he enters it, he reads the room, uh, he's there, he's present, but um, he doesn't then lock the door behind him and say, okay, now we're in here and now we're safe. But um, there's this always this movement of um, I'm present, I'm here, but we are also moving forward. We are also going. And it's very much it's a it's a Good Friday moment, always leading to an Easter moment. And so there's that with Lazarus, there's this idea of lament and presence and uh, a lot of what we feel on Friday, on Good Friday, being in that moment. But then there has to be Easter uh, on the other side of that. And that, that movement in between there is, um, is a, it, an absolutely necessary movement for us. Uh, Kevin, I think that is very well said. And that reminds me of another part in this reading on page 94. He says the story exhibits the contradiction between the empire of death and the living one whom the empire could not keep dead. This Easter Sunday, we ponder that contradiction between empire death and Easter life to consider our own faith amid the empire and to be dazzled by the one who said then and who says now, peace. So as you read that, or as we read that, how do you guys contrast this idea of empire death and Easter life? Yeah, I mean, you're essentially asking the Good Friday to Easter Sunday, uh, how do we make that transition? Um, you know, there's a lot of people that celebrate, um, on Saturday as well, the kind of the in-between, um, I, for me, some of it comes back to the creation narrative, right? So some of it comes back to God created everything and he declared everything good and that we were created in the image of God. 
and that uh, everything that was created was created for him and by him and through him and all for his glory and all perfect. And yet into that came empire death, into that came uh, brokenness and sin and fallenness and whatever words you want to use to say that beauty was marred or that the, the original creation was broken. And I think for me, what Easter is about is that Jesus's resurrection really is then the start again and the reclaiming that the good in the original creation is reaffirmed, that that which started as perfect is being made perfect again. And so really that time between the fall and um, Resurrection Sunday is that Saturday space, that space of we're in the in-between and it is not ideal and there's uncertainty and questioning. But once the resurrection became reality, uh, we're glimpsing God's new creation and we get little bits and pieces of it um, and ultimately we'll have it in its fullness. But it is a moment where Jesus's resurrection reaffirmed the original creation. So for me, I, that's a thing that kind of stood out. So I love that. And also, Russ, I feel like a lot of life is living in that space of the Saturday um, how, how do you practice that? How do you live in that space of waiting and the space of anticipation, the, just in that tension? Yeah. Um, so again, if, if we think about new creation and we think about final redemption, we are in that, uh, the place where the world is still longing and groaning for final redemption, right? Um, and so the question is, how do you live in that Saturday space? And I think Part of it is living like a renewed, uh, reconciled human being, right? Um, so I would say this, that I think some churches do a really good job of celebrating Easter. Um, but the question is, do they or do we live it, right? Do we actually every day by our lives provide more and more proof that the resurrection happened? So I think sometimes when people talk about Easter, they're like, well, I just need to know, was Jesus dead? And then now is Jesus alive and is the tomb empty? Yes, I think so. Absolutely. But I think one of the ways to prove there's an empty tomb is every day you're providing more and more proof that the resurrection mattered and that the resurrection is true. Because what I think the resurrection is saying is that what we do with our lives matters that the point of the resurrection is what you do with the present. It, that's what matters to God because it's all a part of the future story, right? So what your actions are like now and the way that you live now, all is a part of the future redemption that uh, God is bringing to bear. So what you do in the present, like every act of compassion, every... Um, it, the times that you sing or sow or pray or teach or every kind word, every um, use of art, uh, times that you fight for justice or care for the needy, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself, all of those things are signs of the resurrection. And all of those are moving us toward God's good and complete world. And so what Jesus is doing, I think, in the resurrection is inviting us to trust him and inviting us to begin living in a way that reveals how things will ultimately be. And you get to catch glimpses of it in the present. Does that make sense? Yeah. I did. So as you're speaking these things, Russ, the, I mean, there are any number of scenario, scenarios personally that I can reflect back on where I've seen that played out. But when we think about new community as a church family and as a, uh, a congregation of people uh, that have committed to each other, I think there are uh, a few circumstances that come to mind where I, I truly believe our community practiced this idea of Easter and, and practiced this idea of being a restoring people, a redemptive people when we've had... Um, but specifically in two different scenarios, um, individuals on our staff 
that had made inappropriate decisions. Um, and, and we don't need to get into all of the details there, but um, were then um, took it upon themselves to come and confess. And in a time where our community could have felt hurt and wounded and uh, betrayed and um, all of those feelings that may have been present or, or uh, may have been justified even in those moments, what we saw rather was a community of people that um, extended unbelievable grace and remarkable love and acceptance and uh, a willingness to walk alongside and a um, truly a practice of this idea that you're talking about, of uh, moving towards an Easter life, moving towards a resurrected understanding of, um, of uh, mercy and love for individuals that, uh, that made uh, wrong decisions in the moment, you know? Absolutely. I, I reflect back on those um, that you just mentioned right there. And I, I would say that those are some of the clearest and most uh, beautiful pictures of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that I've ever seen. Um, being willing to, uh, to heal and have transformative reconciliation uh, has been so beautiful to watch. Uh, even in the passage we read just a minute ago, Jesus speaks to this idea that uh, I basically says, I give you the power to forgive. I give you the power to uh, speak into other people's lives this beautiful forgiveness that uh, is only enabled by the resurrection. Right? Those weren't things that could be spoken before, but they now have the power to be spoken uh, because of the work of Jesus. Hmm. Can you remember, uh, or, or I can remember, um, specifically on the Sunday where we had to come to the community and, and say that there had been an embezzlement uh, of funds, and, um, and we entered that Sunday, um, it, it felt heavy for us as a staff, nobody else knew. And there was a, a very small group of people that had been working for, you know, the seven to 10 days previous to find all this stuff out and come to a place to say, okay, now we need to share with the community, honestly, transparently what's transpired. And I mean, after we communicated all of that, resoundingly, every single person that came up afterwards and talked to us said, how is, but really, how is this person doing? And how can we care for this individual? And would this individual consider um, coming and, and feeling comfortable sitting in and worshiping with us still? And I mean, it was, nobody cared about, at the end of the day, the finances or um, what are we going to do? Or, oh, my gosh, uh, how, how dare this person? It was all about um, restoration and, and, and all about um, how do we as a church family continue to love and continue to um be an environment where this person could come and live and coexist with us and experience Jesus in the midst of this. Yeah. Uh, I, I was blown away by that. Yeah. Brian Zond, who is a, a uh, author, thinker, writer, preacher, pastor guy that I uh, have really loved a lot of what he has communicated um, through his writings and, and sermons and so forth. He says this, which I think is um, gets to this idea of how are we supposed to be as a people? He says, Jesus is not a heavenly conductor handing out tickets to heaven. Jesus is the carpenter who repairs, renovates and restores God's good world. And that idea that um, you even mentioned, you know, the good news. And we spoke about this not too long ago, but the good news just isn't a destination that we're trying to get people to, but the idea that we are, uh, maybe we are in part two, like carpenters who are uh, asked to repair, to renovate, and to restore the good work uh, that that God originally intended, which is, again, right back to that, that idea of the garden, you know? Yeah. And, and I think the phrase that I really liked from that is, uh, it's good work. It's still work, right? It's work. And uh, tending a garden is work. Like if you, it, it just doesn't magically happen. You have to put in the time and the effort. And I think sometimes what we think is that restoration or reconciliation, uh, that these things just magically happen. And they actually take effort and energy and an abnormal, only inspired by God kind of grace. Uh, so not only did 
people say, how do we care for this person? Um, but the other thing I was overwhelmingly heard is uh, God is a God of Jubilee. How do we forgive the debt? Or God is a God of grace. Um, and what does it look like for us to extend grace even financially at this moment? Um, and those are things that I think are inspired by the life and story of Jesus. Um, and again, it all comes back to the resurrection. You know, if, if, if there isn't the, the triumph over death or the triumph over uh, sin, I don't think you can find yourself in those spaces. I, I just miss our community right now. I um, am reminded in this time of how, how we are an imperfect community for sure. <laughs> we are, uh, we are who we are, and we are filled with a bunch of humans, which is wonderful and beautiful. But man, I am proud to be a part of your community. And as we reflect on all these things, and as we reflect on this time and this idea of radical forgiveness, um. I just, I really love new community and I miss being together. And even just thinking about that three years ago, we were, I, the church is not a building that <laughs> three years ago was our first Sunday in our new building. And I am just eager to get back to that point where we all get to be together again and live this Easter life, uh, within proximity to one another. Hmm. Can I um, belabor that point a little bit longer? Yeah, go ahead and belabor, um, Russ. Thanks, thanks. I, I just think it's important to acknowledge when we talk about forgiveness that um, it's not a one-time act. You know, like it wasn't like the staff members were forgiven once and then it was just wiped away and done with. But that every month when the church is either short on finances is a new opportunity for people to forgive. Whether they acknowledged or knew that each month they're forgiving, it, you're faced with that reality. And I think what I have appreciated about New Community through the years is that we have not ever been afraid to do the hard work of reconciliation that we have been willing to go to whatever links to try to make that happen. Now, it hasn't always happened. It hasn't always worked. Uh, and it has at times felt gut-wrenchingly difficult. Um, but the fact that we would lean into uh, that quality of forgiveness that is again and again and again and again is another beautiful feature of the gospel and of our community. Yeah. So he, uh, as you're saying that, Russ, it kind of maybe brings me to the point that stuck most out to me uh, in the writing here. And it's in the final paragraph. And so this is, I mean, almost like kind of the culmination of the 40 writings that he has uh, before here, uh, the, the entire Lenten devotional. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, he's kind of bringing it all to, uh, to closure in this final paragraph. And he says, so here is my pitch. Imagine that you and I today are part of the Easter movement of civil disobedience that contradicts the empire. Let's see what happens. What do you think he means when he says uh, an Easter movement of civil disobedience? Um, it's a great question. I would probably lean to this idea that the way it kind of goes back to what I said uh, a minute ago, that the way we carry ourselves, the way we conduct our affairs, uh, does stands in stark contrast uh, to the way that the world does it. You know, the way that the world would handle uh, the staff members um, might uh, be quite a bit different than the way that we, uh, I think, went about it. Um, or the way we entered into discerning whether or not we were supposed to uh, purchase the downtown building. Um, we did not go about that in the way that you would typically carry out a capital campaign, or we didn't go about it the way that you would typically have top-down leadership making decisions. 
um, we embarked on communal discernment, and that stands as, uh, in some ways, a civil disobedience to the way that the world works. Um, yeah, so that would be, I think, my short answer to that. Do you, do you think in some ways he's calling us as individuals to be brave and courageous and like uh, kind of in our faith, in the midst of our faith, in that part of this idea of um, civil disobedience is an idea that we as Christians need to live lives of courage, knowing that God is with us, knowing that God meets us in those moments. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I think that um, the difference between those who are actually pursuing the uh, kingdom of God and those who are going through the motions of Christianity, honestly, I think of a lot of it has to do with uh, risk, bravery, uh, trust, um, you know, I think a Hebrews where it says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the idea is just that you have to be willing to walk into the uncharted territory, into the uncertainty, uh, into um, the unknown in order to really live into the radical demand of the Christian faith, which is follow me. Right. Like you can't you can't do that if you're the one setting the, the course because then you know where you're going, right? But follow me is implied in that, like, you don't know where you're going. You're just, your whole occupation is to follow after your rabbi and to pursue him and to know him and then to lead wh- or to follow wherever it is he leads. Uh, this this uh, conversation reminds me of our church plants and the day that we, as a new community, sent out about half of our congregation to start two separate churches, and the idea that that is that is crazy, <laughs> like that's not something that you do if you want to uh, continue to have a church as well. Yeah, yeah. There's no good church growth strategy no. there. <laughs> no, but this idea of stepping out in faith, and everybody was behind it, and we said, no, this is where. We feel like our community is being called and what needs to happen. And so we're going to do it and we're going to step out in faith and we will mourn those who have left, but also at the same time, be excited that we are sending them. It wasn't the exodus, but a sending. Um, And so we could get behind that. But that also raises the question of how will we, will we still be a church? Will we be able to meet our finances? Will we um, still have enough people to gather every Sunday? And yes, the answer to that is yes. It was, I mean, it's how many years ago was that? Was that eight or nine or something yeah. like that? Yeah. 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 And here we are. We're still doing this right now from three separate spaces. <laughs> but right. right. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to kind of fast forward that to the present in that. So the illustration we used earlier, Ella, is now 10. The illustration we just used about the church plants being about eight years old. And then we had another church plant uh, in Coeur d'Alene that happened um, a couple years later. Um, all of those are stories now that are like, you know, in some cases, five, six, seven years old. Uh, but I think we've had even more recent uh, stories, one being uh, the building. It was a risk for us to step into this space Uh, We knew for a while that God was asking us to be as close to downtown and as close in proximity as we could, but with this longing to be more and more a part of the urban center of Spokane. And God brings a opportunity forward, uh, but then the question is, do we actually have the faith uh, and are we we willing to risk uh, to, to move into that space? And then I think even more recently, we've had um, some movement forward as it relates to the series we did in November, the Imago Day series, and just continuing to see the Spirit of God asking us to take steps into new unknown spaces and having the courage and the faith um, to try to follow and to do what he's asking. Yeah. Well, and like you said, you you made the joke about uh, church growth strategy. 
our uh, Imago Day series in November uh, is not a church growth strategy. <laughs> and in fact, uh, you could argue um, would militate against any idea of church growth. And yet it was absolutely right for what God was calling our community into. And, um, and we don't do things uh, to grow by numbers. We do things to grow by discipleship and by disciples. And that's, uh, I mean, and I hope in all of the decisions that we're making, that is the only filter that we are, uh, that we're making decisions through. Yeah. And in fact, I, I can even recall when we added Jeff Reinhardt, this just came to my mind when, uh, Jeff came on staff to then ultimately leave to plant a church in Coeur d'Alene. Um, we went to the community and we said, here's the deal at the end of this year, we will not make our budget we will lose money by this decision. But we feel compelled by God, compelled by the need for churches uh, in Coeur d'Alene to take a, what would perceive to be a poor decision from a business mind or from a structural decision. Uh, and in some ways is an act of civil disobedience. It's us saying no. The way that you normally go about it isn't the way we're supposed to think. We're supposed to think according to the things that God is calling us into, and we're supposed to follow that. And so we did. And we did. We lost money that year, and uh, and God provided anyway. And then a year and a half later, we were able to plant a church, and a church that's still thriving and making an impact in Coeur d'Alene. And so I, I think over and over, there have been stories of that, and the question um for for me is will we continue to do that i think we have i think we have and we can look back on all these stories and say yes 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 um but man i, I notice even in myself the number of times that you just when the next risk comes or the next opportunity to step in faith i find myself saying oh, i'd be much more comfortable if we didn't or it'd be easier if we didn't. And I think that's what you have to fight against, right? Like you, and if we don't keep fighting against that, I think then it's time to shut down your community, you know? As we close this time, I I love the way that Brugman uh, finishes up this reading in this prayer. I think it's really beautiful, and I think it's really uh, just an important prayer for us right now and what we are going through as a community and as a city and as a world. Um, my hope is that on Easter, on today, that we can live into the peace of Christ and accept it and breathe it in. And so here's what his prayer is. It says, Summon us to life in the midst of death, peace in the midst of violence, praise in the midst of despair. Filled once again with your unruly spirit, may we answer your summons and be part of the movement of life. Amen. New community, we love you. We leave you with these two words. Peace be with you, and Christ is risen. A Latin hymn of the 5th century. Morn's glittering ray adorns the sky. Heaven thunders forth its victory cry. The glad earth shouts its triumph high and groaning hell makes wild reply. While Christ, the King of glorious might, treads down death's strength in death's despite, and trampling hell by victor's right, brings forth Christ's sleeping saints to light. Entombed behind the stone of late, securely sealed where soldiers wait, now shining in triumphant state, 
Christ rises victor from death's gate. Hell's chains are loosed and demons fled. Captivity is captive led. The angels crowned with light has said, The Lord is risen from the dead. We pray you, King of glory crowned, let this our Easter joy resound. For we who once by death were bound, through you have life and freedom found. Amen. We invite everyone to sing along for these next two songs and the doxology.
God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Please join us in a benediction. Peace be with you. Behind closed doors and perhaps sitting in fear, peace dwell with you. On this path where our way is uncertain, peace walk with you. Through the mist with its disorienting shadows, peace be calmly with you. At the table, whether crowded or quiet, peace sit with you no matter the unsteadiness of our footing peace stand with you in every breath peace be alive with you may the peace of christ be with you so go forth this week celebrating in the name of the loving father the resurrected son and the holy spirit amen